We're in the last week of a 12-week series entitled, We Are the Church. The last eight sermons of that series were out of the book of Hebrews, and today's sermon will also be out of the book of Hebrews. To remind us, the book of Hebrews was written about 2,000 years ago to Jewish Christians, Jewish Christian believers, who were struggling and exhausted. They were experiencing trials and traumas as a result of their faith in Jesus, and they were under heavy pressure to return to their past religious practices in Judaism. Over time, the pressure wore on them. They became really discouraged, and they were wavering in faith. They could see what it cost them to follow Jesus. Their whole identity had been based on being God's chosen people. Their worth had come from following the traditions of their ancestors, their comfort, security, sense of belonging, and well-being had come from being part of the Jewish community. And all of that got thrown up in the air when they turned to Jesus as their Messiah. They were accused of being traitors to their Jewish faith and culture, disloyal to their families and community. Even worse, they are accused of being disloyal to the laws of God. Rejected and ostracized by their families and friends, scorned, shamed, disowned from their families, they felt displaced, disoriented, and perhaps even felt abandoned by God. Under pressure and persecution, they lost perspective lost sight of what they had gained in Jesus. The reasons they had turned to Jesus in the first place grew dim. The old rituals of Judaism with its food laws and annual sacrifices hadn't worked. But this new way of life in Jesus just seemed too hard. They asked the question, is Jesus Worth it? Is he worth all the persecution, all the family and community conflict, all the struggle and pain? So the writer of Hebrews wrote a sermon to remind them of all that they had, have in Jesus. He wrote to these beleaguered and broken believers to remind them of who and what they had in Christ and so to encourage them to persevere in faith, to trust in him. They needed to be reminded of why following hard after Jesus was worth all the struggles. We also are tempted to lose perspective. Like the Hebrews, there are times when we need to be reminded. We need to remind ourselves about why following Jesus is worth it. So here we go. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 to 15, 16. Hebrews 13, 11 to 16. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through 
his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Last week, Scott Larson talked about this very same passage. It was a beautiful sermon worth listening to a bunch of times. He talked about Jesus being crucified outside the gate, being crucified in the place of rejection, of cursing, the place of humiliation and utmost shame. Jesus did this to make the people holy through his own blood. Scott focused on verse 13. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. He talked about what it means to go to Jesus. Where is Jesus, Scott asked. Jesus is outside the gate, outside the places of comfort and security. What does it mean to go to Jesus? It means to go where Jesus is. The people and places on the margins, the messy places of people's lives. Scott talked about the necessity of proximity. Joining Jesus where people are. Joining them where they struggle, where they hurt. Coming alongside people in their pain. And walking with them through it. The writer of Hebrews tells us that in light of what Jesus has done for us, therefore, we should offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the praise of our lips to the God who saved us. There is no sacrifice that we can offer that will pay for the sacrifice that Jesus offered to himself. He offered his his own life, his blood. He laid down his life for us. There's nothing we can do to earn it, merit it, pay for it, make up for it. What we can do is offer to God our thanks and our praise. Given who Jesus is and all that he has done for us, you might think it would be easy to praise God. And often it is. But we all know that it's not always easy to praise God. How many of you, how many of us in this past year have had days when it felt hard to praise God? Days when you didn't praise God? We have all had those days when God seemed far away, when things didn't turn out the way we wanted them, didn't turn out the way we prayed even. Like the Jewish Christians the writer of Hebrews wrote to, we also have had days, maybe weeks, maybe months, when we lost perspective and couldn't see God's goodness. And maybe you're in one of those days right now, wanting to trust God, 
but struggling to believe, feeling like you're barely hanging on. Awful things happen. Your marriage falls apart or you lose a loved one, a parent, a spouse, a child. You get a bad health report or you lose your job and can't pay your bills. You struggle with an addiction and you fall and you feel crushed with shame and guilt and despair because you know you hurt all those who love you. You get, you get passed over for a job or a promotion even though you know you're the best qualified person. And you lose it because of your color or culture or gender. And sometimes it's much worse even than that. You get shot at. You get harassed. In all these kinds of things, you can't help but wonder, where are you, Lord? Why did you let this happen? It's in those times that offering praise to God doesn't just flow spontaneously from our lips. It becomes a choice to believe, to trust, to declare God's goodness. The sacrifice of praise is a choice, not a feeling. It's a decision to praise God even in the midst of our trials and traumas of life in this fallen, broken, pain-filled world. To praise God in the midst of your trials is not to deny your circumstances. It's a decision to trust God even though you don't understand what God is doing. Don't understand why God hasn't answered your prayer in the way you want. It's a decision to choose to praise even when you can't experience the closeness of God's presence. To sacrifice means to give up something valuable. It is by definition costly and difficult. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. He laid down his life on the cross. So our sacrifices are simply a way of giving thanks for Jesus' sacrifice, for all that Jesus has done for us. They're not a way of earning Christ's salvation, not a way of earning anything from Christ. It's simply a way of acknowledging him and giving thanks for all that he's done and who he is. When we acknowledge and receive the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, we acknowledge there's nothing we can do that will enable us to save ourselves from our sin. We acknowledge that we need a savior. We acknowledge that we must let go of our illusions of goodness and power and control. Ultimately, we sacrifice our pride, our sense of entitlement, our desire for self-rule in order to embrace something someone infinitely better. We embrace Jesus and his grace and rule over our lives. Now, we are called to offer praise and thanks to God continually. This means all the time and in all 
circumstances. Now, why does God want us to praise and thank him continually? It's not because God needs to have his ego stroked. It's not because he craves applause. It's because he loves us. He knows that it's, he's the only one who's absolutely, uniquely worthy of all our thanks and praise. It's because praising God is good for us. Cultivating a heart of thanks and praise towards God helps us to stay focused on him as the center of our lives. And if God is not at the center of our lives, we will worship someone or something less than him, infinitely less than him, less worthy, less righteous, less just, less loving, less gracious, less merciful, less forgiving. We will worship that which cannot save. So how do we cultivate a heart of praise? Well, do what we're doing today. Give yourself to God in corporate worship. Whether via Zoom or in person, give yourself to worship. Do not let anything be an excuse for not worshiping God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's a second suggestion. Start reading, reflecting on, meditating on the Psalms. Turn the Psalms into your praises as you pray them back to God. And here's a third suggestion. Take five minutes, five minutes, five minutes every day and write down everything you're thankful for in that day. Then read your list one by one before God and after each one say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for health. Thank you, Jesus, for sunlight. Thank you, Jesus, for family. Thank you, Jesus, for, and you have your list. That's the first thing we do in terms of sacrifices to please God. There's a second thing. It's the sacrifice of doing good and sharing with others. We're told in verse 16 in Hebrews, do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. That phrase, that word doing good is a word that has to do with kindness. Acts of practical kindness. All kinds of practical kindness ministry to one another. The word share with others is the word koinonia that we hear a lot. It emphasizes life in the family of God in which members meet the practical needs of one another, including sharing financial and other resources with one another. James 1.27 states, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, in other words, pleasing to him, is this, to let look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Orphans and widows in their distress. This is what it means again to go outside the gate to where Jesus is, to the people who are on the margins or who are in distress. So ask yourself the question, in my world, where are there people in distress? 
And how might I be able to practically help them? How am I able to express practical kindness to them? There are all kinds of opportunities. But again, I start with this. Start with a daily prayer. Father, what opportunities do you have for me to do good today? Help me to see them and to do them. Help me to do them, Jesus, in your love and in your strength and grace. So we've been hearing here at the journey about a new initiative, Fostering Hope, coming alongside families who choose to foster or even adopt. Maybe God is calling you to that. We hear a lot about WARM, the Worcester Alliance for Refugee Ministry. Maybe that's an opportunity for you to do good. Maybe God has given you resources that you can donate to our CareNet Fund to meet needs within, a, within our church and in our community, financial needs. Maybe you'd want to volunteer at the vac- vaccination sites in the city. All kinds of opportunities, needs for people vac- to help as ushers, as greeters, and in a bunch of ways, not giving the vaccines. Okay? So, sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, sacrifice of doing good and sharing with others, things that are pleasing to God. Both of these, praise and doing good, we can only do through Him. So, verse 15 begins, through Him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God A sacrifice of doing good and sharing with others. Now, why is this crucial? Well, the the basic fact is because we're sinners. We can't approach God even to offer him thanks on our own merit. And we can't sustain the desire to do good on our own compassion and mercy generosity. We need the life of Jesus flowing through us to, to sustain us and keep us moving forward in grace and goodness. Our access to God, our desire to come before God, our dependent on Jesus, what he's done for us on the cross, our good deeds are depending on him as well. Everything in the Christian life comes through Christ. Everything we do in the Christian life must be done through Christ. It is his presence, his life, his spirit, his light, his truth, his power, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his joy, his love flowing in us and through us that enables us to bear fruit that pleases him. I began this sermon by saying that the Hebrew Christians had become disoriented and discouraged. They had a crisis of identity didn't know where they belonged. The church in America is also going through a crisis of identity. We're not sure where we belong. Hebrews 13, 14 is for us. For here, we do not have an enduring city. Here, we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking for the city that is to come. This fallen world and all its values will not endure. It will not last. God 
is preparing a new city. It's coming. And God's people are called to be on the lookout for that new city. Those looking for the city that is to come don't live by the values and priorities of this world. They don't give themselves to the ambitions and accolades of this world. They refuse to be polluted in the language of James by this world. In Christ, we do not fit into this world and its ways any longer. We have a different value system, a different ambition, a different hope. In God's city, love, grace, generosity, humility are the things that count. And one more, community. We are a new community, part of a different family, a family made up of people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, every color, every class, every culture. A new and better and enduring community. So, by the grace of God, through Christ, we lay down our lives for others. We choose to love our enemies. We forgive those who sin against us. We serve instead of seeking to be served by them. We let go of our entitlements. We use our resources and our privileges to bless and help others. And we shout out our thanks and our praise to the God who is worthy of all thanks and praise. The God who loves us, the God who is with us, the God who fights for us, the God who laid down his life to save us all. We are Christ's church, always Christ's church. We're called to love Christ, love one another at all times, in all circumstances, through all our differences. And we are called to love and to serve the world together as one community. We are Christ's church. We are citizens of Christ's kingdom and called to be the signpost of the world, of that eternal kingdom which is to come. And so, we live by faith and hope in Christ alone. In Christ, through Christ, for Christ, we are the church. Together, by his grace and power, we are called by Christ to be the hope and the joy of the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for sending us your Son. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you laid down your life for us. Oh, Holy Spirit, Thank you that you remind us of who we are in Christ. So Lord, we ask, Father, Son, and Spirit, we ask that you'd help us to praise you with everything that's in us. 
and to do good and to share with others always in your strength and to your glory. Amen.